and welcome to another episode of Stern Chats. I'm Justin Catches. And I'm Stephen Avila. Justin, it's good to see you today. Good to see you, man. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. It's Friday. Can't complain. I'm in the Stern Chat studio. Life is good. So, Stephen, I've got some news. Oh, yeah? What's that? President Hamilton is in the building. President Hamilton, as in the president of the New York University? The president of the New York University. He's going to be on our show this week. Wow. Okay, that's a big get. So we're really thrilled to have him on the show this week. Uh, and it would not have been possible without Yen Chang. As you know, and to our listeners out there, it takes a lot of work to put on one of these programs. And we're so excited to have our associate producer, Yen Chang, on the program. Welcome to Stern Chats, Yen. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Of course. So I am from Toronto, Canada, just the stones throw away. And before Stern, I actually worked in New York for four years for a boutique consulting firm that specializes in higher education experiences. So it's going to be great to hear from President Hamilton on what he sees is the future of higher ed. And I actually worked with a lot of university libraries to think about how they can support student learning and research in the 21st century. So again, uh, you've done some research on, on President Hamilton for this episode. You know, what did you find? How was that experience? Well, there is a lot to learn about President Hamilton and the work that he's done at NYU and all of the work that he's done at Oxford and, and Yale. And one of the things that really stood out to me was his connection to the student community. You know, he's at the top of NYU, and yet he still sends us messages about things that are important to the student community, important to him, to let us know that he has our you know, best interests in mind. So I'm really looking forward to hearing more about his perspectives on student as a whole and uh, what he sees for the future for NYU. Well, we're very excited to talk to him, and thank you again, Yen, for all your hard work. I think it's going to be a great episode. Steven, you ready to get started? Let's stern up that volume. Cue that music. University Stern Campus, this is Stern Chats, the podcast that tells the hidden stories between the lines of someone's resume. In the interest of serving the Stern community, building relationships, and unlocking important life lessons, we present these stories to a wider audience. Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Stern Chats. And we are so honored to have the New York University President, Andrew Hamilton, in the studio with us today. Mr. President, thank you for coming today. Well, it's a great pleasure to be here. President Hamilton, is this the first podcast that you've done? I am ashamed to say that it is the first <laughs> podcast I've Fantastic. Done. I'm looking forward to hearing it, uh, although I suspect I may give a, a week or two before I uh, uh, switch it on. Well, welcome to the Stern Chat studio. It's quite nice, isn't it? It's a delight. Delightful setting. We're in the bowels of Stern and surrounded by thick walls, no sirens, no noise of the city. That's right. Well, we're really excited that you were able to come on the show. Uh, so how did you hear about Stern Chats? Oh, I've been uh, hearing about it for some time. And, and you have in your dean, Sundaram, and, and your former dean, Peter Henry, two strong advocates. And both of them have told me about the, the podcasts and the way in which the, the student-led activities had really started to connect, uh, be listened to widely, not just in Stern, but 
alumni and others interested in the activities of Stern. And so it was, uh, I had already got a good uh, advertisement for <laughs> what you all do. That's great to hear. So we'd like to, uh, to get right into it. We know you as the president of NYU, but as all good stories have, an interesting beginning. We'd like to start before you were President Hamilton, before you were Professor Hamilton, before you were Dr. Hamilton. So where are you, where are you from and, and how was it growing up there? Yeah, where I, I grew up in the UK, as you might be able to discern. And I, and Not Brooklyn, New York. No, <laughs> I'm working on my Brooklyn accent. You know, John Sexton is a great teacher. So, uh, However, I'm not getting very far, as you can tell. Uh, I grew up in a little town called Guildford, which is about 30 miles south of London. And it's sort of halfway between London and the, the port city of Portsmouth. And so it's real place in the history of the UK that it was often an area where people stopped because it took two days by coach and horses wow. to get from London to Portsmouth, which was where the British Navy was throughout the history of the UK. And so there are lots of pubs and inns in the city of Guildford that uh, have plaques on the side saying that Nelson slept there or some uh, famous yes. admirable admirals slept there. So it's a town. I grew up there. I went to school there. I went to a state high school. It was called a grammar school in those days in the UK. And then from there went to uh, university in the UK. So how did you know you wanted to be a scientist or, or were attracted ah, to the sciences? That's a great question. And, and, and it actually came late. You know, I, I'm mm. one of these people. I, I did not play with chemistry sets in the basement of the house when I was a kid. In fact, I was somewhat obsessed. I'm going to do some confessions here. <laughs> I, was, I was somewhat obsessed with sport and, and to some extent still am. I've had to shift my passions from cricket and rugby to, to football and baseball, but that's okay. I'm very adaptable. And I, I uh, played a lot of sport when I was a kid and, and tended to spend more time playing rugby and cricket than I did studying. And, and it was actually later in my time at high school, but particularly at university. So I went to a, the, the University of Exeter, which is a university in the west part of the UK, beautiful county of Devon. If you, if you know the UK, it's one of the areas of, the, of great uh, natural beauty. And I went to the University of Exeter. I studied chemistry there, more as by default, because it was my best subject in high school. <laughs> and actually, it was at, at Exeter. And, and even then, only in the last year or two, that suddenly something clicked in my hmm. brain. And I began to see what a beautiful, and it's, a hard, you know, it's not a, a, an adjective that is often used about science, but what a beautiful subject chemistry was, and mm. particularly the branch of chemistry that has become my specialization, which is organic chemistry. And, mm. and so it was realizing this subject had elegance, beauty, but also a profoundly logical way of thinking that really attracted me to it, and, and I began to love it and be passionate about it. My then girlfriend, now my wife Jenny, oh, wow. you know, used to be quite exasperated with me because I would <laughs> I would take chemistry books on vacation. You know, we'd go on vacation to the beach and I'd be lying on the beach reading chemistry books. And A so. little light reading. <laughs> <laughs> but again, you know, I, I say that often to, to, to students at NYU that, you know, one of the most important things in, in life is to find the thing that gets your heart beating faster. Mm. 
-hmm. the academic subject, the, mm -hmm. the thing that makes you want to read about it far beyond what your professor is teaching or what required readings are, are in the course. You know, find that area that you go home and you want to dig deeper, you want to know more, you want to look at different perspectives on the subject. And so that, that sort of search for something that uh, rings your bell, makes your heart beat faster. And in my case, that happened to be organic chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And it, there's a sense of discovery there in, ter in yeah. terms of telling that story. And I wonder how then you discovered, you know, the, kind of making the jump from being a student and studying chemistry to kind of making it to the other side of administrator, professor, <laughs> and president. You know, did you the, have a similar... The other side. You make it sound like the dark side. You know, the other side. You did call it the I, dark arts. I did. I did. I'll come back to that later. <laughs> I actually, you know, like many things in life, and I'm sure if there are any Stern alums listening to this, their own careers, your future careers, is Justin and Stephen, you know, they unfold in often unpredictable ways mm. and unexpected ways. And that certainly was the case with, with my career. And, and uh, I, I went from, from the University of Exeter, as I said, I got a PhD. Uh, I actually came to North America. I spent a couple of years in, in British Columbia and, and hmm. did a master's degree. Again, got deeper into the subject. I also learned to ski. I shouldn't be saying all these things. <laughs> <laughs> There's a great ski area just outside Vancouver called Whistler, which mm. uh, some will know. I bet it's pretty spectacular. It's wonderful. I learned to ski there and fell in love with skiing, but uh, there's too many uh, distractions uh, that I'm confessing to. It's balance, but, balance. Uh, ba <laughs> thank you, I agree. Work-life balance, and we are committed to work-life balance here at NYU. So good, <laughs> I'm glad that you, you see that. But uh, I then went back to the UK to get a PhD at Cambridge. Uh, I did a postdoc in France, uh, a beautiful, beautiful city of Strasbourg uh, mm. on, on the, the Rhine River, and then uh, got my first job back in, in America in, at Princeton. I, I started at Princeton. I became a professor of chemistry, and then my career was dedicated to the teaching and research in chemistry. I, I went from Princeton to Pittsburgh, had nine years in the great city of Pittsburgh, became a die-hard Steelers fan. I okay. know when you live in Pittsburgh, you live and die with football, baseball, and hockey. And so Pit the, the Steelers, the Penguins, and the Pirates became my... Uh, my sports passion in the US. And then, of course, Yale. I was at Yale for many years. And, and, and it was at Yale, you ask about this transition from being a scientist. I was a professor of chemistry, had a sizable research group, publishing, teaching organic chemistry. And, and in a funny way, it was not, I certainly never sat down one day and said, I want to become a university president. It didn't work like that. I did what happens in most university departments. I did my turn as chair of the <laughs> chemistry department, first actually at Pittsburgh. I was chair first in my last three years at Pittsburgh, mm -hmm. and then I went to Yale, and I became chair of the chemistry department there a couple of years after moving. And it was really that point that I realized that actually this wasn't a, a, a burden that I had to tolerate. I think as many faculty, when they take their turn as chair of their department, sometimes think that I actually found many of the challenges of being chair of a department, not unlike the challenges that one encounters in 
a research group. Mm. You you need to think in a in a clear and a strategic way. You need to lay out a, in 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 a scientific research group. You need to lay out a set of goals and milestones and how you're going to get to the end of a particular research project. You have to persuade people to join you on that journey. In mm -hmm. the case of a research group, it's graduate students. In the case of a chair of a department, it's faculty, <laughs> colleagues. And, and so that was something I realized that I not only had some facility for, but I also enjoyed it and found it gratifying. And, and then I, uh, on, on a very fateful day, the then provost of Yale asked me to become deputy provost with responsibility for science and technology at Yale and that was really the step that I took into central university administration mm -hmm. and not long after that I became provost of, of Yale. So it wasn't uh, anything that I sat down and decided. It was something that just happened in some respects as a consequence of a natural connection to the kind of activities that I'd been carrying out anyway in a research group uh, in the chemistry department at Yale. And it sounds like you've taken a similar approach to the research group and, and lessons you've learned there and approaches you've learned there and applied it to, to university administration to, to some success. Well, yes, I, I, I hope so. And, and, you know, universities are wonderful, wonderful places. And I think for me, one of the great strengths of, of universities, I've, I've been in senior administration now in three pretty good ones, Yale, Oxford, and now NYU. And, and they have one very critical characteristic in common, which is that they have a strong sense of, of, of shared governance, but also shared vision and uh, establishment of the key, the core strategic priorities of the university. And that can't be done it's not effectively done by an overly rambunctious president dictating, telling faculty what they should be doing. I learned very early on that that's not a particularly effective way. I'm not sure it works in the army terribly well, <laughs> but I, it certainly doesn't work in universities. And, mm. and one has to really work with faculty to help in a common way have that sense of commitment, but also common ownership of the key strategic mm. goals. I, I'm very fond of, of an NPR t-shirt. NPR used to have t-shirts for sale. And this t-shirt, it, it was referring to diplomacy, but it could be university leadership. And, and the T-shirt the, the was diplomacy slash that university leadership is the art of letting other people have your way. And I, and I think in, That's a, a great... in, in a sense, it really describes, you know, how you know, having clear and defined goals for the university is good. But then you actually have to bring people along with you. Mm -hmm. And ideally, they have to, re to, 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 to come up with the, the similar ideas, similar thoughts, similar goals themselves. That's brilliant. I love that saying, by the way. <laughs> yeah. We've talked about kind of your career up to this point. H how did you end up at NYU? How did I end up at NYU? That's a great question. And, and almost by destiny, I think. And, mm. and I suspect there are many New Yorkers who get here and realize, boy, this is where I was meant to be. Uh, I mentioned quickly my career. I was provost of Yale assuming that I would spend the rest of my career, I'd do a few years as provost of Yale, I'd go back to the chemistry department, I've kept a research group 
all of the time. I'll perhaps come back to that later. And and assuming I'd spend the rest of my days in in New Haven, Connecticut, and and uh, as a member of the faculty at Yale, which isn't a bad way to uh, spend one's career. And then something happened that was again rather unexpected. I I got a knock on my door, or rather a phone call from a search firm. Would I consider? becoming the vice-chancellor of Oxford University and the mm. vice-chancellor, the titles in the UK, the vice-chancellor is the equivalent of president. Mm -hmm. And of course, my first reaction to was that, not in a million years, I'm a Cambridge graduate. If you, <laughs> if you, if you know the UK, you know, this, Do you is, know me? <laughs> this is an intense rivalry. Is this Columbia, and, NYU? Uh, is yeah, it, good, it, it is, it is. And, and, it, it, uh, and I said, not in, uh, but of course, you know, the, the, again, you know, as I think of the, the ringing Phrases. I've mentioned that one about uh, the art of letting having other people have your way. The, the, the sentences that ring in my head that have been very influential in my careers. There was another one, and it shows this was a very clever search consultant because I said, <laughs> no, I'm not interested in Oxford. You know, I would never consider maybe Cambridge at some point, but Oxford is one of those places you have a natural antipathy towards. And this person said, Andy, why don't you come over and visit? Have a look around, if only to confirm your prejudices. <laughs> that, <laughs> that Twist was, my arm. That was her line. And of course, she knew exactly what she was well doing. Played. I, I went to Oxford to visit. I saw what a spectacle. What an amazing city it is, university. It's a university that's heading towards 900 years old. Wow. I saw spectacular faculty, students, people involved in it. And of course, I was hook, line and sinker. I interviewed for the job. Of course, it was a com very competitive interview process. And then I was offered the, the opportunity to return home. And, and don't forget, I'd, I'd spent 28 years in America. My mm -hmm. wife and I have three completely American children who sound like you guys, not like me. <laughs> and we, we had this, this strange experience of reverse culture shock, having become mm. American in just about everything we do. We returned to the UK after 20 years away, and, and I had six and a half years as the uh, vice chancellor of Oxford. And then, and then the, the Oxford and, and Cambridge universities, in their wisdom, both have a, a, a very fixed policy which is the vice chancellors, the president, have fixed non-renewable terms. Mm. And so... Term limits. Term limits, exactly, and non-renewable, and, and uh, seven years. So, so I knew from the beginning it would be seven years in Oxford. And so in my sixth, basically in my sixth year, I started looking, might there be a leadership opportunity back home? I say that very firmly, back home in the US that might be right for me. And the moment I came to NYU for the first time, I realized that this was right for me. And, and I went through, again, a very, very intense interview process for the presidency of NYU and was thrilled when I was offered it. And so it became a chance to return to the US. But far more than that, it became a chance for me to be involved 
with a university, NYU, that I'd watched from afar at Yale up I-95 across the Atlantic in Oxford. I'd watched the trajectory that NYU has been on over the past couple of decades. And mm. I wanted to be part of this very exciting university in this incredibly dynamic city. And I'm thrilled to be here. Absolutely. And I think <clears throat> dynamic, exciting, all the adjectives you use, I think, is many of the reasons why many of the students choose to come to NYU. And, you know, you, were, you are the 16th president of New York University. You were inaugurated. I, I, I will just point out, yeah. I was, I'm the 16th president of NYU. God, I've forgotten the number now. I think I was the 262nd Vice Chancellor of Oxford. <laughs> <laughs> so that gives you a sense of the different. But anyway, go on, go on. Sorry to interrupt. Emphasis on New York <laughs> University. Yeah. Um, so you're two years into your tenure, and I think for many students here, you know, would be very curious. You know, what is a day in the life of a President <laughs> Hamilton? You know, how do you choose to spend your day? What does your day look like? And if you could walk us through that, that'd be great. Oh, what a question. Stephen, uh, you know, every day is different. And that's why it's such a hard one to 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 answer. And uh, every day reminds me of what a remarkable place this is. What a large, you know, NYU is a large university. It's twice the size of Oxford. Oxford was twice the size of Yale. And, and so I'm, I'm uh, trading up, you can, you can <laughs> see. And, and uh, uh, as a result, the intellectual breadth the dimensions of the academic landscape that is NYU is truly quite remarkable. And, and it, is, it is quite hard to, to focus on one thing. My days mainly are involved. Of course, I have a, 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 an outstanding team working with me in the, in the leadership group at NYU. I spend each day, I, it's rare that I'm not meeting one of the deans of, of NYU schools. I meet routinely with Dean Sundaram, as I did with Dean Henry before, and uh, with other deans at uh, the university, but also the the day often involves a student event of some kind. Uh, uh, one of the the delights of of this university, my wife Jenny and I love to attend the student performances. We went not long ago to a a play in French at Gallatin. We go to the as best we can when 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 schedules permit to student performances at Steinhardt and at Tisch and and other there are parts of the university, and so it's great to come and, and be part of, of the many academic, lively academic activities and, and cultural activities that go on here. So I often, you ask, you know, a day, every now and then in my job, I'm sort of put in front of a microphone and have to make a spontaneous speech, you know, and speak, <laughs> speak extemporaneously. And that can be quite a, a challenge, but I learned not long ago here at NYU, <laughs> all I've got to do is just talk about what I did yesterday. Mm. And, and it doesn't matter who I'm talking to, where I am, it allows me to define NYU, to define the incredible breadth, the impact, the dynamism of the place just by saying, oh, I met with so-and-so, I met with so-and-so, I saw a student performance of X, I, I uh, celebrated the, the receipt of a large research grant focused on new approaches to cancer or whatever it may be, and it allows me to, to really use specific examples 
of what is truly remarkable. Now about you can this use university. the Stern Chats podcast as a, <laughs> a great example. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, it, I, I know this is a podcast that will be listened to many days hence. But let me just say, you know, yesterday it was was uh, I had one of the most uh, moving and powerful hour and a halfs of my time at at NYU, and it was a sad event. It was a memorial service for an NYU stu- uh, alumnus, I should say, an NYU alumnus who was killed in Iraq, uh, a man by the name of Trip Zanitis, who was graduated from College of Arts and Sciences in 2003. Boy, he was a remarkable man, and he was a, 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 the kind of person that NYU is just truly proud of. And, and I spoke at his memorial service and, and said, you know, as I as I talk about the ideal student that we hope at NYU we are producing, whether it be from Stern, whether it be from CAS, whether it be from medicine law, wherever, that, that somebody committed to service, somebody committed to making a difference, to having an impact in the world. And just to very quickly trip Zanitis, as a student was here at 9-11, he not only ran for student government and was the chair of the Student Senators Council here, he was an athlete, he was cum laude, politics degree, he volunteered uh, at Ground Zero for 14 non-stop hours at 9-11. He, as a result of that experience, joined the Fire Department of New York and served for eight years, becoming a fire marshal. He then, uh, in the middle of that time, joined the Air National Guard, learned to fly helicopters, had three deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan. This man was quite remarkable. He also got a law degree from Stanford, was one of the top students at Stanford, uh, uh, taught himself Mandarin, you get a sense, and was a proudly gay man who who came out to his fire department colleagues several of his fire department colleagues talked about his coming out to them and the the way in which that was embraced within the fire department and a key part of of his personality there, there were so many things it was a sad event of course because he'd been taken far too early but it was a remarkable celebration of a of a of an NYU student and the opportunities that being at NYU and the fact that his time at NYU inspired him to leadership and to service. And that was something that I found truly, uh, truly... It's moving. inspirational. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, it gives you an opportunity to celebrate. Yeah. So that's, that, was, that was part of my day yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. You mentioned, uh, you know, you have a, obviously a very diverse day um, and you oversee 60,000 students worldwide. As president, you're one man. How do you think about being visible to the student body? And kind of what do you do to kind of help encourage that? It is a a challenge, Justin. It is a challenge. And I think this is, uh, NYU is a big university. You mentioned, and we're not quite 60,000, but 57,000 students. You're you're right. We are... Rounding up. We are rounding up. In in science, we are precise with our numbers. (laughs) Uh, In In, in business school, we like to round up a lot. (laughs) In... Uh, uh, and of course, you know, it's important to remember that NYU, here we sit in a, a basement, you know, a, a stone's throw, literally, from Washington Square. Uh, and this is, of course, a key part of NYU, but this is not the only part of NYU in New York. Our health 
corridor is is on First Avenue. Our uh, engineering and increasingly tech center is in Brooklyn. We've got fine arts up by the Metropolitan Museum. And as you say rightly, we are now all over the world with two campuses, one in Abu Dhabi, one in Shanghai. So this is a very large place. And so the challenge for me is, is, as you say, to be visible. And so coming back to one of my earlier answers, you know, I, I hope I can do that by participating as often as possible in activities, going over to the makerspace at Tandon, connecting to student on entrepreneurial activity, being part of the hackathon, uh, you know, connecting, as I often do, going up to the Institute for Fine Arts uh, near the Metropolitan Museum, uh, uh, being part of, of, of seminars or, mm -hmm. or um, discussion groups in medicine, uh, visiting the College of Dentistry or the College of Nursing up on First Avenue. You know, this is, and going to Abu Dhabi and Shanghai, uh, obviously that is a very long trip, but I try very hard to get to Abu Dhabi and Shanghai for some of the key events of the year. Uh, I will be going in September for the student welcome, just as I participate in mm -hmm. New York at the Barclays Center and the reality show. I will do similarly in Abu Dhabi and Shanghai to welcome the new group of students starting there. And I, I try very hard to attend as many of the graduation ceremonies as I can. I certainly, of course, uh, the, the fabulous ceremony in uh, Yankee Stadium. But not a bad venue. Not a bad <laughs> venue. In my first, uh, in my first commencement speech that, uh, at Yankee Stadium in 2016, I made the comparison between where I had previously presided at graduation ceremonies, which was in a building in Oxford called the Sheldonian Theatre, which was built in the 1670s. Uh, in the 1670s, was beautiful, had gloriously painted ceilings, was designed by Christopher Wren, one of the most yeah. famous architects in British history. And then to transfer to second base at Yankee Stadium with the rumble of the subway, the smell of popcorn, and, and I, I wouldn't have wanted to be anywhere else. And so it was a, a, a great, but again, you know, graduation ceremonies, not just the Yankee Stadium, but also the schools. I'm hoping to be at Stearns in, in May, late May, and, and I will also be at Abu Dhabi and Shanghai. Very important ceremonies, but the graduation ceremony is, is a key sort of punctuation mark, a, 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 a period, a full stop in the, in the life of our students as they stop one part of their lives and go on critically to the next part. And it's mm -hmm. a very important thing for a president to be part of. And you mentioned, you know, this immense trajectory that our university is on and, you know, the makeup of our, of the students here. And, and you know, I, some news came out this week about the incoming class of 2022. Um, and I just want to ask uh, some questions on that. I'm going to list some pretty cool stats here. Um, it came out this week that just over 75,000 people applied to attend NYU this year, which is a new record and an increase of 12% from last year. And, uh, in fact, that also comes with a 33% increase in African-American students accepted and a 14% increase in Latinx students accepted, making up 11% and 21% of the overall limited population. 
In addition to that, first-generation college students comprise 20% of the class, uh, which will number approximately 6,500 students for fall 2018 across all NYU campuses. Yeah. Would love to hear your thoughts on that, of this incredible achievement. Well, let me say, that achievement is due to the hard work of many, many people. Within the center of the university, we have a spectrum admissions team, but actually in every school, those numbers also include Stern undergraduates, of course, across the, 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 the university and the different schools that undergraduates attend. And I think for, for me, the, those numbers are very encouraging, very gratifying. They say something about NYU. They say that this is a university that students want to come to. Uh, you look at that 75,000 number, uh, that is more than any other, significantly more than any other private university in America. And I've done some searching myself. There are only a small number of huge private universities like Berkeley and UCLA and maybe Penn State that have more applicants than NYU has. And so, you know, this is truly remarkable for a, for a, for a private university. I think it says a great deal about that trajectory, Stephen, that you referred to that NYU has been on. I think it says a great deal about the global presence of NYU that has been established now since the first site in Madrid in 1958. This has been a key part of the strategic mission of NYU over now 60 years. And of course, accelerating with Abu Dhabi and Shanghai, but still very much a key part of NYU. And I think despite the political rhetoric that we are hearing from Washington DC, and I'm afraid to say from 10 Downing Street in the UK, of a rhetoric of withdrawal isolation. In fact, NYU, with its global network, is preparing students for their place in the world in the 21st century in a global economy, in a world where actually the, the real challenges the world faces, be it climate change, be it migration, be it environmental pollution, these are challenges that will only be solved, you know, not nationally, but transnationally. They will be solved mm. by countries working together, and NYU is producing students who are comfortable with difference, with different cultures, with different languages through the global network. Let me also say that those numbers and I'm very glad you highlighted the increase in the number of minority students, the increase in the number of first-generation students. You know, NYU has had a, a strong commitment. You know that I've made affordability a, a key priority, and we've made a strong commitment to making NYU accessible, but also a place that can be transformational for students coming from disadvantaged backgrounds, from low-income backgrounds, wherever they come from in the United States. And I've been very proud to be able to say, as I have done, and I will do so again <laughs> today, that you look at the number of Pell Grant students at NYU, we have a total of 25,000 undergraduates at NYU, more than 5,400 Pell Grant recipients, so a measure of, 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 of family disadvantage. And that is more Pell Grant students than Harvard, Yale, 
Princeton and Columbia combined. Wow. And so when you think about this university and the the impact it's having on the life trajectory of young people from from disadvantaged backgrounds that was reinforced by a very detailed study by the Californian economist Raj Chetty, which was published and much discussed in the New York Times recently, the economic and social mobility uh, impact that, that study at NYU has on those from disadvantaged backgrounds is remarkable. It's something we can be proud of. It's something we should not rest on our laurels. We should continue to commit Absolutely. to increasing those numbers and to making sure that the success, the graduation rates increase, all of the things that, that matter in the life of a university. But those data that you've just described, Stephen, of our incoming class uh, or the ad the admits, I should say, because we'll, it'll be May 1st before we know the, the actual data around the incoming class. But th those are very encouraging indeed. You have the opportunity uh, as president of NYU to change a lot of lives. So well, I, you know, uh, NYU has the opportunity. NYU, NYU, NYU is NYU. not NYU. the president. Mm -hmm. NYU uh, is many, many, many hundreds of faculty, committed staff, mm -hmm. and students. Because there is Absolutely. no, as we live in a world of online learning, which has a very significant role to play in higher education, one of the things we must always be reminding ourselves is how critical personal contact is, personal connection and inspiration. And in a university setting, especially at Stern, peer-to-peer, -peer, you know, are critical. Watching what you students have done in creating the podcast program. You know, you've been connecting with each other. You've been learning about teamwork. You've been learning from each other. And peer-to-peer -peer interactions are critical. And those are only and certainly best received by connecting at a residential university like NYU. Absolutely. So you mentioned the global network, you mentioned affordability, you mentioned climate change, the sustainability. Uh, we actually, Stephen and I, in preparing for this podcast, we spent some time watching your <laughs> inauguration address back in 2016, and I highly recommend it to anyone who hasn't seen it yet. But these were you know, three of the six questions that you, that you had posed. When, when you entered, you know, when you kind the of... Six priorities, the six I laid, priorities that I saw after just a few months at NYU. By then, I'd only been at NYU for a few months, but, but that I saw as critical things that NYU, as a community, mm -hmm. as a group of, 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 of scholars and students, that these were things that we needed to, to, to tackle. Absolutely. So I'd like to start, if we can, with, with the global network and, and the political sure. piece that you, that you brought up, because um, I think it's really important. And and in your speech, you mentioned that in the, in the face of destructive public discourse, we must not retreat, but we must engage. And, and this is in 2016, and, and here we are, you know, two years later. And, and I, I would say it, and that was before the election. Yeah, Mr. the world has changed a little bit. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess, wh what does that mean for for students? What does it mean to engage? Oh, uh, Justin, I think that, that that's something, again, you know, students, I, I feel very strongly, and I'll, I'll say something, this, this very much came from my Oxford experience as well, but I believe it, it's very important for NYU too. You know, it's called higher education for a reason. You know, this, this is no longer high school. This is a, a, a place where students engage with their subjects and engage with the world in truly deep 
and I will say it personally driven ways. You know, I think one of the, the, the responsibilities, students when they come to NYU have a responsibility and that is to seriously engage with their, their studies and to do so by, by not sitting and being spoon-fed by t professors. But actually, I said it earlier on about falling in love with chemistry, but to really want themselves to teach themselves. And the same applies to engagement with, 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 with foreign cultures. You know, no one can make anyone do anything they don't want to do. A higher education, a higher learning is where students take their own responsibility. Uh, you know what we we have it. What what I experienced in Oxford was a, a system that over many centuries had built that in constitutionally. That students, I won't go into detail. They have a tutorial based system where students really have to take responsibility for their own intellectual development. And here at NYU, in a sense, we've done that with the creation of the global network. We provide the opportunities for students. To, to travel, to, to engage with a different culture. But once they get there, if they want to never go out of their dorm room or never uh, leave the company of other Americans, that's not something we can, we can force. But I do know from my visits to all 13 sites in the global network outside New York is that NYU students are deeply committed. I've had wonderful conversations with NYU students in Madrid, in, in Paris, elsewhere, uh, living with families, living with, with Spanish families in, in Madrid, for example, truly becoming part of the culture and understanding what it's like to be uh, a, a Spanish young person and of course, deeply uh, engaging, most likely with colloquial Spanish, learning all the swear words, but that's okay too, because <laughs> that, that's part of, of, of learning uh, a culture deeply. And I think for me, the global network gives NYU students the opportunity to truly engage and to prepare themselves, as I said earlier, for a world that, that despite what is being said in Washington, D.C., and despite this sort of doom and gloom around globalization, you know, I, I, I truly do not believe that the next decades will involve less connection to mm -hmm. China or to Africa mm -hmm. or to South America. It will involve more and stern graduates more so will be finding themselves in a global economy driven by uh, online commerce in so many ways without almost without borders yes with bumps along the way yes globalization has some real questions to ask about those who are left behind but there is no question that the world that our students will graduate into will be a profoundly international one. And their experiences of the world will be critical for their success. You know, to your point, you know, we live in New York City. It's such a global city. NYU is such a global campus. You know, so many of our classmates are immigrants. We mentioned first generation students coming to college. So many of our social issues of our day impact the students, the faculty, everyone that's involved. And I wonder, you know, since we started school, we've received a few emails from you on various topics um, of the day that are happening both in Washington and around the world. And I wonder, 
you know, how do you choose which topics to weigh in on? And, you know, mm. what is your role as a university president, you know, as the the head person of our university to kind of pick and choose what, what to weigh in on? Yeah, that, that's uh, a, an important question. And it's one that, that, that I'm not sure I know the right answer to. The, 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 the one thing I do know, and, and this applies to anyone involved in, in, in communication, in, in, in uh, connecting and communicating with a, wide, with a widespread community, if you do it too often, it'll be counterproductive. You know? mm. I, and I'm very cognizant of the, how easy it is to hit the delete button uh, because I do it myself <laughs> uh, on, on, on the emails uh, that, are, that arrive. And, and so I recognize that if the president sends too many missives, then it will be into the garbage that they go. And I think for me, uh, you know, you, you, you mentioned two or three, three or four of the, 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 the things that I've commented on recently. And it's just a judgment of, of what do I think of widely the NYU community is is concerned about it. There, it. there wasn't any question when the 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 announcement of the travel bans came out, for example, not mm -hmm. long after President Trump was elected, and and that so affected not only the the international students who were being threatened by uncertainty around their visa status, but also, uh, as you pointed out, as Stephen, you know, the, the 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 American students, their friends, their their classmates, the people that they. They've come to know and, and, and know as people. This is something that the community was concerned about. And so it's a judgment and judgment comes into, into my role and responsibility often. But it's, it's looking for those issues that I think are of most concern to, to, the, to the broader community. Mm -hmm. So I had, I had one question on that. Because you talk a lot about, you know, you've talked a lot about issues that are important to you, right? Immigration, climate change, guns. A lot of these issues have been framed um, around, you know, your role as an administrator, but also your personal life as a, as a yeah. trained scientist, yeah. as someone yeah. who's gone through the immigration process here in America. Exactly right. So my question is, how do you separate the man from the office? How do you separate? Oh, I don't think you can, and I don't think you ever should, because one, you know, you, you re every stage in life, when, mm -hmm. when one's a student, when one's a postdoc, when one's an assistant professor, or starting in a new job in, in business, or, or what wherever you know you are there because of who you are you mm. are there because of uh, the experiences you've had in life and i imagine you're there because people in in choosing you have thought you have a potential to contribute to the enterprise whatever that enterprise is and so i don't think you should ever divorce the individual from the role that you play now having said that <laughs> you know obviously as a university president I also represent the institution, and I say this quite, quite often and, and strongly. You know, uh, NYU is a large university. We have a, a community of more than 70,000 people. That is the size, not of a small city, it's the size of a medium-sized city. And so there is no one NYU opinion. No, thank goodness. This is a, uh, a very lively, robust disagreements and debates. That's what universities are for, to discuss the difficult issues of the day from a very wide range of perspectives, including some 
that some might consider offensive, and this is why universities matter, so that those difficult subjects can be discussed, challenged, criticized. And so for me, uh, part of, uh, of the challenge of, of, of being a university president is that I actually have to suppress my own opinions, political opinions, for example, because what I think isn't necessarily what NYU thinks. And in, in fact, NYU doesn't think one thing, it thinks a multitude of things. And so I focus and speak publicly on issues that are critical to the core mission of the institution, of creation of knowledge, of dissemination of knowledge, and of preservation of knowledge. Those, that is the core mission of NYU. And so I speak on subjects that challenge that or threaten that, and the visa policy is a perfect example. That was a very serious assault on the opportunity for students from particular countries to travel, to come and be part of the intellectual community, the diverse intellectual community of NYU. And so, you know, you will not find me opining and, you know, for example, I use the, 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 the gun debate. You know, obviously there are intelligent people who hold views on both sides of the Second Amendment. For me, however, I, if you saw a piece that I wrote in the Washington Post, for me, what is critical and what a university should be discussing is the role of evidence, the role of research, the role of data in driving policy solutions to particular social problems. And so I particularly wrote about the Dickey Amendment, mm -hmm. and I was pleased to see in the latest budget that was signed by President Trump that there was a clear statement that actually research on gun violence, research, not advocation for a position, but research on gun violence, uh, is something that, that, that can be allowed by federal funding agencies. You know, you can guess, coming from a country like the UK, you can guess what my own personal opinions are mm -hmm. on, on gun control, but that has no place in, in my statements on behalf of NYU. Well, thank you for sharing that. And, and, and speaking of roles, you are here in the Stern Chats studio, and we are in the graduate program here at Stern. And I'm wondering if you could just share your perspective on the graduate programs here within NYU, and maybe Stern specifically, yeah, how you see our school fitting into the larger NYU community, and some of the, um, what you see, what would you like to see from the Stern students as we graduate and go off into the world? Well, let me say, uh, I see Stern playing as it does, as it has a central, a critical role in this university. I'm very pleased to come to, to NYU because in, uh, you know, if, I, if I look briefly at my previous institutions, at both Yale, the School of Management, and Oxford, the Said Business School, they are both quite new. They only in the last two, three decades has business been recognized as an area of, of, a, 
of appropriate academic study and and uh, uh, academic education. And it's great to come to a university where the business school has been a critical and a, and a, and a central part of the activities for many, many decades, uh, reflecting the very nature of New York City and the role that Stern has played in, in driving the economic uh, dynamism of, of New York City. So for me, uh, I'm delighted and I see that within the university, Stern has a very important role to play and Stern students have an important role to play in bringing that particular perspective that comes from business education of of entrepreneurialism of drive of you know looking hard at business cases in order to achieve particular goals and and I've been delighted to see the way Stern students have have connected with other students across NYU as they've thought about starting companies as they thought about turning themselves into entrepreneurs I'm I'm very pleased with the recent innovation of the creative destruction lab <laughs> that uh, Dean Sundaram has brought forward and that mm -hmm. to me represents an exciting next step to uh, the role of Stern students then connecting with scientists and with medics who've discovered new things that might then also become part of this burgeoning entrepreneurial ecosystem that is NYU, but actually is New York City as it shifts its its tectonic plates towards tech and towards entrepreneurialism. You ask what I hope Stern students will do after graduation. Ah, well, there we are. That's a key question. Yes, of course, I hope they go on and do great things. I hope that they have successful careers. That does not always mean or only mean, you know, joining a hedge fund or Goldman Sachs or JP Morgan. It also means uh, being entrepreneurs, being engaged in, in, in innovation and, and creating new things. It also means applying those business business skills and traits to social impact and social mm -hmm. entrepreneurship. And it's great to see those dimensions playing a role at Stern as well. But of course, the hedge fund guys and the JP Morgan guys, we love them because they go on and then do that second most important thing after they graduate, which is, of course, to financially support their families. That's their number one priority. But their number two priority is to financially support Stern and NYU and to, give, to give back. The link in will be so provided. Many ways. <laughs> you, you wouldn't have expected me to miss this opportunity <laughs> to have a, a, a fundraising call to all Stern alumni. We'll open up the phone calls now. <laughs> <laughs> so, President Hamilton, uh, last question. Um, when you think about your time here, and when you look back on it after you've kind of gone on to, to whatever the next for whatever is next for you, what is it you want your legacy to be here? <sighs> That's I'm often asked that, and and in a sense, you know, I, I think it's always important to put oneself in perspective. And and I mentioned I was the 262nd vice chancellor of Oxford, so <laughs> you know there are I'm the 16th president of NYU. There have been many wonderful, wonderful contributors to the history, the trajectory of NYU, who have gone before me. I hope that when my successors in decades to come look back at this period of NYU, they will see a 
period of, of continued uh, upward trajectory. They will see a, a period of continued commitment to the critical issues of the day and of the future, that they will see real measurable change in those areas, be it commitment to increasing the diversity of the campus, increasing, increasing the sustainability of the campus, the affordability, just as you've touched upon. But of course, above all, I hope that they will see that that remarkable trajectory that NYU has been on continues and lays the foundation for the next president, the 17th and the 18th and the 19th presidents of NYU too. And I hope that she will be a very significant contributor also to that continued trajectory of NYU. President Hamilton, we've been discussing your legacy a bit, and I understand that you've had some exciting news recently. <laughs> yes, I have. And, and it, it, it comes back to these questions about the role of a university and the, the, the contributions that universities make to society and the world. And this has come into sharp focus for me and my wife, Jenny, over the past uh, few days because uh, Four days ago, our first grandchild was wow. born, and so uh, an, ad an adorable bundle called Cecilia, and uh, to, uh, known to us as Cece. And, and of course, what now I think very hard about is the world, the future that Cece will enter, and that there be great universities, that NYU in, uh, what will it be, uh, 2036 will be ready and waiting for an application from, from Cece. So, uh, uh, hence this special role that universities play in life, in culture, in politics, in advancing knowledge. We need that to continue to be strong for the next generations. And, and I'm delighted to say my uh, family is now producing that next generation. Congratulations again. And this podcast will be here for her to listen to. Exactly. President Hamilton, we look forward to contributing to your legacy as the community here at NYU. And we so appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to come on the Stern Chats program today. So thank you so much for coming into the studio. Thanks for being here. Well, it's been my pleasure. Thank you both.